how could we be trying to do a movement more safely, but increase our risk of injury? If we don't use it, we lose it. Life doesn't happen in safe ranges of motion. And if we want to be better at it for your zombie, zombie apocalypse and for your next shift at work and for the sports and the movements that you love to do, we need to start training smarter. Go. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the White Belt Podcast. My name is Fernandez, and it's been a minute. It's been the hottest of minutes, but it feels really good to be back and recording some more episodes. I've got a couple of really cool interviews coming your way very soon, but I'm also experimenting with a little solo cast format where I'm going to kind of break down a concept, a couple of misconceptions, some kind of powerful ideas that I think more people need to know about. I'm gonna break those down in a solo format. There's gonna be extra resources attached to this. Um, So yeah, let me know what you think. Drop me a comment if you enjoy the format and I'm gonna dive right into it today. And the topic of what I wanna talk about today is safer is not stronger and the idea of fitness mollycoddling. Now, what the fuck is that and why should you even care? Is that even English? It is English, in fact. (laughs) Mollycoddling is defined as treating someone in an indulgent or overprotective way. So if you imagine a really overprotective parent that is trying to micromanage their child and shield them from all possible unpleasant experiences, that is not what makes a strong, resilient human. And the body is exactly the same. And there's a lot of this kind of optimizing for safety and getting scared of particular movements and body parts and demonizing particular ranges of motion for joints. And a lot of this fear and aim for safety is actually leading to people getting weaker taking longer to get the results that they like, or maybe even not at all. It's leading to become becoming more stiff, less flexible, getting more injured, and winding up with weird and unevenly developed bodies that have all kinds of complications for both performance and aesthetic qualities. So what am I really talking about here? Let's dive in with a really specific example and you're gonna be able to see what I mean. And let's take the lower back for an example. Now, if you've ever had a trainer, you've been to a class, or you've just heard exercises cued, the lower back is often massively, massively micromanaged. Just think about the amount of times you've heard, oh, do this with neutral spine. Make sure that you don't hunch your spine when you're trying to deadlift. Make sure you don't arch your back too much when you're trying to squat, but make sure you don't round your spine either. Make sure, oh, you can arch your back a little bit in the bench press, but it's also really dangerous for your back. Just think about how many times you've heard people overcue the lower back. It's insane. Now, that's not for no reason whatsoever. A lot of these things have quite noble origins. And yeah, it's true that we don't want excessive load dumped through the lower back when we're trying to exercise another muscle group. For example, if we are pressing overhead and we're not really used to doing that and we're just trying to train our shoulders, we're working with a relatively new person to training, if that person's excessively arching their back when they're pressing overhead, yeah, that's going to be too much stress through the lower back. But because people get caught up in training only very specific movements or only training beach muscles or only ever train, training with their lower back 
isolated or immobilized, this often leads to their lower back becoming at an increased risk of injury. Now, why is that? How could we be trying to do a movement more safely, but increase our risk of injury? And it comes down to this. Movement is medicine. Now, that's not just something that people say that sounds nice and it's just, oh, cool, what does that actually mean? I'll tell you what it means. Joints don't have a very good blood supply of their own. So joints get nutrient, get nutrients supply and blood supply and oxygen from movement. For example, the compressive forces when we run pump nutrients and blood flow into our knees and into our ankles. The pumping motion from moving our arms gets your mind out of the gutter. You, how dare you? The pumping motion from moving our arms like moves blood throughout our elbows and wrists when we run, when we do push-ups, when we do whatever else you're thinking of. This movement is how joints receive lubrication. There we go again. This is just becoming a really sexual podcast. Someone's going to take the shit out of context and just make a porno out of this. Anyway, this is how our joints receive lubrication. It's really important to get before we start exercising. For example, warming up. What are we doing? We're getting synovial fluid to our joints so that the tissues can slide past each other more effectively and not beat up our joints and connective tissue. So it's how it gets nutrients. It's how we prevent injury via synovial fluid. And it's also to do with how our brain develops. Our brain develops in exactly alongside and in proportion to how much we move an area. If you have seen the homunculus, it's a visual rep representation of a human body in proportion to the brain, the size of the map of the brain, essentially, of an area. It's got incredibly large lips and tongues. It's got incredibly large hands, all because our lips and tongues re relay and detect so much information. Our hands are responsible for such fine motor, motor patterns, like writing or playing a musical instrument. The more that we use an area of our body, the more our brain will actually increase in its physical size as well as a number of other different factors to accommodate for this increased demand. It's, and the reverse is true as well. If you have a limb amputated, then the area that's of the brain that's responsible for moving that, which is previously quite developed, it's actually going to shrink. So how does this all relate to strength training? Why do we actually care about this? Well, all, is that, all that is pretty much just to say that if we don't use it, we lose it. And if we keep a neutral spine all the time in every exercise and never get used to actually moving our spine, articulating all of those different vertebrae in all of the different complex ways in which it can be articulated, if we don't get used to moving it, let alone under load, our spinal cord receives less nutrients. Our spinal cord receives less of that lubrication from the, from the synovial fluid, so therefore it is more prone to injury. And our brain also down-regulates its mental map of how much it can move the spine and the individual sections of the spine, your upper or your cervical spine, your mid or your thoracic spine, your lower lumbar spine, all of these different spine segments of the spine can move individually. But if we don't move them, then we lose the ability to move them. If our spines can move less, 
that means that there's less range of motion throughout which we can produce force with the muscles around the spine. So if we're suddenly doing a deadlift with our perfectly straight spine, but we've gone a little bit heavy, we're going for a PR and we're halfway up a heavy deadlift and all of a sudden our spine's starting to round. And the very first time that we're asking our thoracic spine to flex like that is with 200 kilos on it. The first time we're going for a PR, that is a one way ticket to snap city. We are going, shit is going to go bad. So you can really, really see how just striving to be safer with a movement and trying to mollycoddle people and overcorrect them with form cues and not allow them to fully express the range of motion, the ranges of motion that are inherent to the human body does not necessarily create a safer environment. And we end up painting ourselves into this biomechanical corner where we can, where our movement is so limited. We're strong where we're strong, but as soon as we deviate outside of that, there's no ability to, to produce or to resist force. That is how injury happens. So where does this problem originate? Well, it partly comes from us avoiding body parts that typically get more injured. So knees, lower backs, necks, hips, wrists, elbows, ankles, all of these parts that you so often hear people talk about, ah, yeah, fuck, my elbow is giving me stress. Or, ah, yeah, nah, I don't squat anymore. I don't squat to depth anymore because my lower back hurts. All of these things, ah, no, I I don't do lunges because my knees, I just, you know, lunges are not good for my knees. We start to throw out entire ranges of movement and exercises just because we've been trying to do them in a way that our joints are not ready for because of this painting ourselves into a corner. So what's the solution then? We set up exercises and machines and everything in perfect comfort and and quote unquote alignment so that these joints are never challenged. The muscles that move those joints are barely ever used. And then when we need them the most, when our ankle slips out from under us when we're running, when our shoulder, our elbows go back behind our body, when we go too low in a dip, when we're going a little bit heavy or we're fatigued, these are the times where we need these end ranges of motion and these healthy joints the most. And those are exactly the times where they're not going to be there for us. So that's all the value of despair. But what should we be doing? What is the solution to this? If safer is not stronger, then what is going to make us stronger and more resilient and better at performing in sports and in life, which happen in all kinds of ranges of motion? And the answer is that we should be doing the opposite. We should be working to ensure that all of those joints are strong throughout a full range of motion. We should be, first of all, moving our spines especially, but all of our joints a lot more, both as a deliberate part of training and secondly, throughout our daily life. And if you want to get really crazy, as a part of movement play, exploration, having fun with our bodies and exploring what they can do. That's, in my opinion, that is one of the highest levels of exploration of movement practice, but even as a very bare necessity to move our joints more and deliberately as a part of our training. We should be gradually loading those joints through their full range of motion. If you look up, I'll leave links to this in the description of this podcast. If you look up the Jefferson curl, you'll see people holding a weight, standing upright, holding a weight in their hands, like a barbell, maybe or a kettlebell, and they're folding forwards 
curling their spines as much as they can all the way down into a forward fold through a maximally bent spine and then curling all the way back up. It's like the opposite of a deadlift or a Romanian deadlift where your legs are straight and your spine is straight the whole time. Your legs remain straight, but your spine is maximally bent. Now, high-level gymnasts famously use the Jefferson curl and work up to doing multiple reps for multiple sets with their own body weight, meaning, or at body weight, meaning if they weigh 70 kilos, for example, they're holding onto a fucking 70 kilo barbell, rounding their spines down to a full forward fold and coming all the way back up. Now, that is an incredibly impressive feat and not, not everyone has to go there. And in fact, if you try and pick up a 70 kilo barbell and do a Jefferson curl straight away, you will snap your shit up. Just like if you try and bench press 120 kilos if it's your first time on a bench. Gradual loading over time is the key to all connective tissue and joint health. And we have to actually do this even slower than we would progress with muscular, more muscular exercises, quote unquote, uh, which like a bench press or something like that, which the prime movers are in their more comfortable range of motions, more in the middle of their strength curve. We're not loading tendons and ligaments quite as much. We're not working quite as much specifically with the joints. We can progress those faster because muscle tissue adapts faster. Muscle tissue regenerates faster than connective tissue. So it's really, really, really important that if you're gonna, if you wanna take some of these tips on board and you wanna start to experiment with some more full range of motion training, with some more joint specific training, really, really, really important that you start light and that you allow yourself plenty of recovery time. Cool. So we mentioned the Jefferson curl. What other exercises are good if you want to go and do some research and start to see what, what does the training even look like rather than just jumping around or just doing a bunch of yoga poses straight up? Where are some good places to start? The Jefferson curl is one of them. Starting even with your own just with no external weight, just with the weight of your own body in your hands, curling down and curling back up. Excellent for spinal flexion and also helping train your hamstring flexibility. What And also spinal decompression as well. That spine is incredibly compressed. I could talk about Jaco for ages. But what else? The arch up or the active cobra is essentially doing the opposite with our spine where we're extending the chest up we're contracting those spinal erectors, shortening them and arching our chest up. And that's going to help train those muscles that often get strained in, you know, when people are squatting and arching their back too much. If we train to be strong in those ranges of motion, we can handle so much more stress there. And if we do fall a bit funny out of a squat or a good morning or something like that, then those muscles and the surrounding joints are sorry, the joints and the surrounding musculature are ready to handle that force load. What else? The ATG split squat, popularized by or created by Ben Patrick, knees over toes guy. There's a bunch of stuff going around with knees over toes training. And that's a perfect example of taking that stronger is not, sorry, safer is not stronger and flipping it on his head, taking people to end range of motion, helping them use that extreme knees over toes position and getting strong there so that when you do, when you end up there in that sport, you've trained it, you're ready for it. You can produce and absorb and transfer force in those ranges of motion. And you're not only more injury resistant, but you perform better. 
Last two I've thrown in here as well is the Cuban rotation for the shoulders, for the rotator cuff. Excellent, excellent exercise to get really strong at. A lot of a lot of people to get really strong in bench pressing can end up loading up their rotator cuff and not training it enough to the point where that becomes a problem and those muscles can't handle the same loads that their stronger chest and shoulder muscles can. So this creates all kinds of problems, both acute injuries and overuse injuries, and the German hang as well. Often people finding lots of lower, lots of elbow pain, dips, shitload other range of ranges of motion and movements. This German hang can really, really help open your shoulders, stretch your chest, allow you to train your chest more effectively. There's just endless, endless benefits that I would be here for all day if I was to talk about each one of these movements. Please check the description of this podcast for all links to all of those exercises. I normally only reserve those exercise demonstrations for my private clients, but I'm feeling generous and you can get great in the in detail, step-by-step breakdowns from all the way from beginners all the way up to advanced progressions for all of those exercises. So these are great bang for buck movements that you can get started with if you want to start to kick this safer is not stronger paradigm out and you want to start to apply full range of motion training, you want to start to not only build muscle, but build your your body's ability to perform in a wide variety of ranges of motion outside conventional gym training, which is pretty much up and down, quote unquote, sagittal plane training. If you are interested in trying martial arts, if you want to get stronger in your yoga poses, this supplementary training of just lifting weights up and down is def- it's great and there's so many good things about it but it's inadequate to prepare your body for the demands of things that happen in sports in the ring on the mats you know on the field and even in life when you're picking up things you work manual labor all of these different things life doesn't happen in safe ranges of motion and if we want to be better at it for your zombie zombie apocalypse and for your next shift at work and for the sports and the movements that you love to do, we need to start training smarter. You won't find this shit in the fitness textbooks. That's part of the problem. But if you are interested in training truly strong to be every to be truly strong everywhere, to build an athletic body, a mobile body that'll last you well into your old age, you can send me a DM on Instagram or you can send me an email via my website about one-to-one coaching programs. All programs are based off a detailed biomechanical assessment of your body. And this helps to find out what are your joints capable of? What do you want to be able to do with those joints? How do we make up that ground in between so that your joints can perform up to the tasks that you want them to do? That is it from me, guys. I hope you enjoyed this one. Please leave me a comment if you enjoyed this format of the podcast. Much love. And I'll catch you in the next one.